<laughs> Did you miss me, gang? <laughs> oh, yeah. I can already hear the wise guys out in Queens saying, yeah, we missed you like we missed that cold sore we had last week. You get kind of uh, affectionate to it. Look at that. It's like missing art out there. Comes up to me and says, did you miss me? <laughs> I said, yes, yeah, like the time I had the wart taken off. The star of our show. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I tell you, society is uh, is 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 changing and improving every day. You know, I really it is. Yes, it is. I I have received. Uh, uh, intelligence reports that now uh, people who feel inferior about their garbage, uh, you know, if you live in the big city, you know, you put your, there's a garbage can out in front of your apartment and, uh, and uh, people walk past and see your garbage. And if you feel inferior about the quality of your garbage that you've been putting out, well, you know, a lot of uh, Coke bottles and uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, uh, plastic containers containing uh, <laughs> uh, the remains of last week's hamburgers and stuff. You know, you, you know what I'm talking I'm talking about second-rate garbage. Uh, you can now subscribe to a service where every month you are supplied with a supply of very elegant empty containers from such things as imported pate, uh can't, yes, uh, elegant wine bottles, uh, cellophane wrappings of imported Belgian cookies, uh, petit fours, and all that sort of thing. And uh, every couple of days, you just use this. It's a month supply. You just let it out. You know, daily, you throw out one more great-looking can. And uh, your status will rise tremendously in your neighborhood. Of course, uh, if, if certain neighborhoods, as was pointed out to me by one of my friends here, he says, you know, if you... In his neighborhood, if you throw out a bag marked uh, Nathan's Hot Dogs, he says, they're already thinking you're putting on airs in his neighborhood. <laughs> and, 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 of course, in certain neighborhoods, if you start throwing out uh, cans that are a little too elegant, you're liable to get your, you know, to get ripped off within five minutes. Somebody spot that coming out. You know, they say, well, they, the guy's, you know, I mean, he's buying the family-sized Coke now. The son of a gun must be nothing but dough. And the next thing you know... Is uh, ripped open drawers and that sort of thing. You know, these, these, uh, these are the little niceties that are adding to our civilization. You know, uh, another service for those of you out there. Of course, this is in the days of advancing uh, anonymity, the search for uh, social meaning. Uh, haven't you been searching over the years now for your context, your place in the great vast scheme of existence? Of course. But you didn't know you were doing that? Uh, well, that's true. I, uh, some people, <laughs> you know, that it is true that there's some people are so low down the evolutionary scale that they do not know that there's such a thing as the as the uh, you know the vast scale of uh, of uh, human existence. They just don't know of these things. It's like a turtle sitting on a log. He's not aware of the fact that uh, he is part of a large genus of biological creatures of which he is only one representative. Uh, he, it never crosses his his murky mind 
where do I stand vis-a-vis the manta ray? Uh, you know, <laughs> never does. At least we have no evidence to the fact that it does. I'm sorry to report. This is not an anti-turtle remark, by the way. I don't want any turtle cuckoos out there to be immediately writing me. It is not an anti-turtle remark. It is merely just an empirical objective remark uh, which could be construed in any direction. You notice I'd make a great witness at Watergate. You always qualify everything. You never near, merely say, yeah, yeah, that's what he said. You say, to the best of my recollection, according to my notes of that date, uh, it is conceivably could have said that. Now, uh, on the other hand, you see, you must always equivocate if you're going to be a good witness. You never come out and say, yeah, yeah, I've done it. No way. Oh, no way. That, uh, that, that would put the entire legal profession out of business if, uh, if truth became... Uh, uh, became fashionable as as opposed to a popular concept. I mean, fashionable. That's something else. I mean, it's easy enough to believe in truth and another thing to to exercise your belief. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's another... Here, I don't bring that. Uh, it's extraneous. Another great uh, new uh, service that I would like to report to you tonight since uh, this is uh, public service time here on our little, our little battle here tonight... Um, uh, there are some people, probably even uh, some listening tonight, who might be in this unfortunate category, although it may be called fortunate under certain circumstances, who have achieved true anonymity in a society which is largely anonymous. Now, that's only not only American. You know, people keep talking about the American society, but wherever you go in the world, uh, the, with the population explosion and the explosion of IBMism uh, and various other technological advances, and incidentally, the ex- population explosion is a technological advance. Has it ever occurred to you that the, that the population explosion is directly related to technology, that we technically have improved mankind, uh, at least survivally speaking, not quantitatively speaking, or qualitatively speaking, put it that way. Uh, we have made... We have made sure now that more klutzes and clods survive past the age of seven, uh, therefore to go on to become voters, and that bothers me. But uh, <laughs> that's something else. Uh, but uh, that's, again, another shouldn't talk like this. But uh, nevertheless, uh, some people have achieved true anonymity in our time, which means that even their friends can't quite remember their name when they meet them. And in fact, some people have achieved such a degree of an anonymity that their close relatives often confuse them with other relatives they once had who have now since left the scene. Uh, yes, I, I met a guy, listen, one of the most embarrassing moments I had in, in years. Fantastic moment. I'm going to tell you a true moment. I'm walking down 57th Street, you know, that's a great street, you know, walk along, you walk. I was walking east, as a matter of fact, from 6th Avenue. And this is a sort of an elegant area. You can imagine it, Herb, can't you? You've been there once or twice. You walk along there, see. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you Jerseyites have a tendency to have nosebleeds when you get up in that area there. It's pretty rich for your blood. And uh, I'm walking uh, east on 57th the other day, and and uh, I see coming along in the, in the mob uh, the great horde of uh 1973 mankind charging towards me. I see this guy whom I knew at one point. I couldn't quite remember his name, you know, and, and, and but I knew him. And I knew at one time that we had had some kind of a professional relationship, you know. You, 
and but I couldn't remember his name, and I couldn't remember where it was. See, so he walks up, and he's with this woman. See, so he walks up to me. And I felt kind of rotten about. It. I always hate that, you know, running into somebody you can't remember his name. So I, well, immediately, my head says, "What? What the hell is this guy's name? Clifford? No, no, Clifford. Oh, Clifford. No, 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 no. Huey? No, no. So, I, I, I trapped. He says, "How are you?" And I said, uh, hi, hi, oh, my God, it's you. Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there we are, standing in the middle of 57th Street, see? And he says, oh, my God, hey, listen, do you ever see Marty? I thought to myself, Marty, who, who the hell is he talking about, Marty? Uh, do you ever see Marty? Oh, my God, you know he's grown a beard? And, uh, oh, he's, he's he, you know, he's, he's lost a lot of weight, he's drinking. I said, uh, he is. Oh, I, uh, that's, that's too bad, you know. I, to, to, oh, what do you mean, too bad? I mean, it's better than he was. And I thought, better than he was. And uh, so we're standing there, and, and we're talking back and forth, see, and I'm trying to think who the hell he is, see. And, 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 and I know that I'm not focusing right, because when you're trying to think of somebody's name and at the same time listen to what he's saying, obviously you're not concentrating on either. Well, I'm trying to think, where the hell did I see this guy? Where did I, where did I work with him? You know, what did I do with him, see? And then I notice an interesting thing in his eye, he has got a curious opacity of the eye, which I have recognized over the, you know, my days in the jungle. He, too, can't remember who I am. Well, I, 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 I had my choice. My choice was either to turn and, and, and walk on and say, well, it's good to see you. I got him. I'm in a hurry. I'm on my way to you. By the way, I'm going to see Marty this afternoon, you know, or something like that. Try to fake my way through it. And I said to him... I, I opted for that very unpleasant thing, the truth, right? He said, uh, he said, well, he said, uh, you know, it's really good to see you. You know, it's uh, really good. Uh, <laughs> it's really good to see you. I said, it certainly is good to see you. By the way, uh, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to tell you something that uh, may be a little embarrassing. He said, well, well, you know, go ahead. I said, well, uh, I don't remember you. I mean, I, I remember your face, but I don't remember your name. What's your name? There's a funny look come on his face. Oh. What? Harold. I'm, I'm Harold. Harold Cohen. Then there's a pause, and he says, By the way, uh, what's your name? <laughs> I said, uh, Ed Clutterback. It's not inventing a name because I could see he was faking it at this point. I said, Ed Clutterback. And he said, oh, of course, Ed Clutterback. My God. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, Henry the Fourth. We used to go down Henry for member? I said, yeah, yeah, I sure do. Uh, used to see Harry down there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Harry, son of a You know, I'll tell you, I saw Harry the other day. He was going by in a cab. I waved. So we started all over again. Well, at, at, at this point, I'm, this is getting a little boring, see? And then he turned, and it was very embarrassing. The, the, I thought at this point I'd already had the most embarrassing moment, but no. He says, hey, so he says, listen, Ed, I want you to meet my wife. And he turns. He couldn't remember his wife's name. Now, if you think I'm kidding, <laughs> I wonder how many guys have, have had this experience when they're out on the street and they meet some guy, and they're with somebody they've known all their life. I mean, like their brother or something. And they say, I want you to meet uh, my brother, uh, 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 Stan, no, uh, 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 Cliffy. Uh, yeah, it's Cliff. 
What the hell's the matter with me? I can't remember. <laughs> this guy couldn't remember the name of his wife, and she gave him a look. I mean, it was like she had two flamethrowers, one in each eye. You know? I said, oh, my God, that anonymity is creeping everywhere. A guy can't remember the name of his own wife. And I'll bet when he gets home, he's going to sit there, you know, and somebody's going to call up and say, is this Howard? He's No, uh, this is, uh, can't remember his own name. Would you please bring me on some anonymous music, please? Yeah, I sometimes wonder who I am. What the hell my name is really at? Where I come from, where I'm going, why the hell I'm here? Who the devil am I? Oh, I am singing them identity blues. Where am I going? Why am I here? What the devil is happening anyway? All together now sing. I I think I remember your name. Your face is very familiar. You look a little like I, I should. I really should. I should know you. Where did we work together before? It seems to me we used to talk a lot. I can't remember your name. I can't remember my name. I can't remember what town I'm in. <laughs> show, right? Uh, this is, uh, <laughs> this is, uh, what the hell station is this? Uh, uh, oh, 
WGN. No, that's Chicago. Uh, KMOX, uh, St. Louis, right? Uh, uh, KWK. No, 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 that's Cleveland. Uh, oh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. No, it starts with a W. Uh, uh, WGN. No, no, that's Chicago again. Uh, 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 w, WBZ. This is dump. That's not right. Uh, uh, what, what, what would you please hold up the sign in there, Jerry? W O. Of course, this is W O R New York. <laughs> Silly W O R. You don't have to know a lot about wines to know the time for Dubonnet is before. And there's hardly a soul who knows it's an aperitif. <laughs> Dubonnet Company, New York, New York. Gee, what's he mean by that word aperitif? I thought aperitif were two pickpockets on vacation. Are you using too much sugar in your iced tea or iced coffee, gang? Well, you get sweet and low. Sweet and low. Give me a little echo chamber there. Sweet and low. The perfect sugar substitute. Sweet and low. Sweet and low. <laughs> that was real nice. Sweet and low, the perfect sugar substitute. Sung for you with incredible feeling uh, by uh, me. Sweet and low is featured at all fine food and drug stores. Who the hell wrote that down? It looks like it says drool stores. Uh, have you figured out how to stay cool this summer? Well, if you can't figure it out, you know, you know, sitting out there next to your great big... <laughs> have you heard some of these great air conditioning spots on the air? The other well, you know, there's a lot of companies that are kind of torn in between. Like I heard a spot the other day for, I think it was Con Ed, where they recommended that you go out and get an air conditioner. After all, you know, they're in the business of selling, uh, selling uh, uh, wattage, you know. And on the other hand, they said, but then when you get it, don't use it very much. Uh, <laughs> did you hear that spot? Oh, boy, you find it both ways, eh, Con Ed? Well, have you figured out how to stay cool this summer? Well, you, uh, one of the best ways. Frenchmen don't care whether it's cool or hot uh, because the way they live, you know. And uh, would you like to try the French way? Well, uh... You start right out with a chilled bottle of red Beaujolais wine. You won't care what your name is after a couple of them bottles. That's good wine, too. By the way, that is a real good wine. You agree? Jerry, it's it's good, this Alexis Lachine Beaujolais. It is excellent. Recommended, personally. Alexis Lachine, the beautiful Beaujolais. And uh, it's, a, it's a very fresh, light, nice red wine. And incidentally, Beaujolais itself, as a wine type, is the most popular French wine in America. And uh, quite probably in France, too, I'd have to say. Would you guess that, too, Jerry? I would have to say probably, yes. Uh, but one great thing I remember about Alexis Lachine, while other wines have increased their prices, they are still at their same low price. And that's saying a lot. It's a good French wine. So, uh, do it the Frenchman way, you know? Start guzzling Beaujolais, and you will not have any worry about your air conditioner. With a chill bottle of Alexis Lachine Beaujolais, the Anytime Wine, imported by Bass Charrington Vintners, New York. Remembers the name, 
Alexis Lachine. Alexis Lachine. Alexis Lachine. Not the tutu. Hey, did you like my identity blues? It was not bad, was it? I mean, that's very apropos. I, I see. I like to. Whenever I sing, I like to sing stuff that has real relevance. Uh, yes, indeed. Well, I heard that on the Barry Farber show the other night. Yes, there was some guests that kept saying, "Well, Barry, I believe that my book is relevant to the situation." And I thought, well, that's an, I like that pronunciation better. Revelant. It uh, has much more swing to it. Pizzazz. You pick up a lot if you just keep listening. Then you got to keep your old ears open, your pores open. Revelant. And I, I like to sing Revelant songs. And nobody ever sings about that. I can't remember what day it is, what time it is. I can't remember uh, who's president. Uh, <laughs> and this is a this is a, a time. You know, I I really believe that with the, with the day of advancing uh, a constant barrage of uh, of uh, news. I mean, there's some stations of 24 hour news. You know, all over the dial news and and the television is news, all kinds of stuff. Uh, newspapers, magazines. Uh, I just think that people actually remember less than they used to remember when there was very little to remember. <laughs> No, it's very hard to remember anything. No, it really is. I mean, uh, crises and everything come so fast now, it's almost impossible to remember the good old days when they had the Vietnam War. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, already I can just see, you know, guys are already getting nostalgic about that, you know. There, there'll have to be, a, you know, there'll have to be songs about that. You know, I remember my days in Quantree, Quantree province study. And, uh, you know, it's just got to happen. Uh, and and uh, you know they're designing a special uh, a special hat uh, for the uh, for the uh, you know the veterans of Vietnam. Oh yes, you you've seen the Legion hats, you know. And uh, and the Legion hat, of course, is actually based on the World War One hat. You know the World War One, uh, what they call the overseas cap. And uh, of course, that's not relevant uh, any longer. No, no way. And uh, so they're designing a revelant hat. It's made out of straw, like a coolie hat. Sits down, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's got badges on the side of it. Do you mind if I, uh, if I, uh, of course, when you talk about the revelant songs, I, I, uh, I wish I had it here tonight. I would love to sing the bear meets the train tonight, because it's truly revelant. Speaking of bears, uh, I didn't want to bring up the subject here because I know there's a lot of nervous people, especially you, Herb. You've been very nervous. I've noticed some guys, yes, I think, have you, do you know that nervousness has a lot to do with myopia? That the more nervous you are, the more you tend to wear thick glasses. And uh, that's right, Herb. And by the way, you can disguise yourself anytime you want. Just take your glasses off. Nobody would know you. Uh, <laughs> of course, when you take your glasses off, you look vaguely like Harold Teen, a very gommy Harold Teen. You know who Harold Teen was? You know, the way he was in the comic strips. He was, uh, yeah, he was an early Peanuts. Yeah, they had this girl named Willems. You remember that? And I remember, well, the first time I actually really studied Harold Teen, I was about 10 or something like that, standing out on the 
playground at the Warren G. Harding School, and this guy named Thurston, uh, we had his kid named Cliffy Thurston. I've never mentioned Thurston because there are certain kids, and we, uh, there are certain kids that when you're a boy, I don't know whether girls get this, but males do. They develop an intense, almost pathological dislike for certain other males in their class. I mean, you know, really, you really hate them. And, he, and you even, uh, I, I, there's, a, there's a guy I still hate, and, and I, he did some stuff that I, that I, uh, that I still unforgivable. Still unforgivable. He was, he was a total clod. I mean, this, this kid was in our, there wasn't one male in our entire, in all my entire grade school that ever said anything other than, get the hell out of here, when he would show up. And that was Thomas Watts. The name, he was a rotten name, Thomas Watts. He had a fat, gummy face, and uh, well, you know, the typical the fat, gummy face, and he had he had glasses that looked like uh, what, flashlight lenses, you know, with tape on them, and he sweated. Well, you know the kind of guy that Thomas Watts, and 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 so Thomas Watts was just universally, uh, let's say, a uh, you, you, you've heard the t- expression "the figure of fun." Thomas Watts was a figure of scorn. Uh, well, he was like uh, like uh, Miniver Chiefy, child of scorn, and and uh, Watts did something to me which I have never, I have never, never outlived in my own mind. Now, 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 I'm gonna. Uh, I learned a lesson this way. I, uh, how do we learn our life lessons? Well, some people never learn them. And what is a life lesson? A life lesson can be. Uh, Primarily survival. I mean, you learn how to survive and to flourish in the jungle. Now, a tiger learns his life lessons at his mother's knee or at his mother's claw, right? And uh, by the time he's uh, six or seven months old, no longer is he afraid of turtles. It's the other way around, right? Turtles now begin to hide from the tiger. <laughs> well, now, how does it happen? Well, the big tiger says, look, you're a tiger. You don't take any guff of them turtles. And uh, when you're a little tiny tiger, you tend to get scared of turtles. But at the age of six months, after listening to the talk from the big, the big tigers, he goes out and he starts knocking turtles around. Well, that's a life lesson. Now, the turtle, on the other hand, has learned from early turtledom that frogs are afraid of turtles. Now, when he was a very tiny turtle, he would, be, he would you know, spook when a large frog would appear on the horizon. Well, as he grew, other turtles said, what the hell are you running from the frogs, for God's sakes? There's one thing a turtle don't do is run from a frog. At which point, he says, no kidding, even that big one down there in the pad there, that big mother there with a big mouth, and uh, at which point the other says, watch, watch me get him. And the next thing you know, the frog is swimming like hell and hiding under the weeds. And that little turtle has learned a lesson. That is called a life lesson, as opposed to the junk you learn in school. Well, I mean, you know, I learned this. I spent one whole semester fooling around with the Punic Wars. Now, ever since that time, I have not had one question arising, not once, regarding the Punic Wars. I tried to bring them up in a sales meeting here the other day. Yeah. Got me no damn place. I, I was sitting there, and the, and the manager was saying, Well, I'm guys over at WMGM, and I'm guys... He's going on. I says, Wait a minute. This reminds me of an episode in the Punic Wars. At which point, the sales manager, For God's sakes, will you shut up and stick with the subject of the meeting? Well, it was a nasty meeting. 
And I tried to lighten it and give a little historical perspective by bringing in the Punic Wars to no avail. Incidentally, since that time, I have not been invited to any sales meetings. Uh, you don't bring up that kind of stuff. First of all, I know what happened. I could see the opaque look on their faces. Not one of them knew what the hell the Punic Wars was. Now, uh, you know, uh, so so there you go. Now, on the other hand, uh, <laughs> I, I have to I have to tell you though that that the that the life lessons that we learn are not necessarily the ones we want to learn. It's a very important concept. Now, it, it is assumed that the turtle enjoyed learning the fact that turtles uh, chase frogs. However, what he did not like to know, which he learned a couple of months later when he's out chasing a frog, is that quite often great northern pike chase turtles, and successfully. And once you're down in the gut of a great northern pike and you are a turtle, there ain't no place to go. Uh, at that point, you've learned a life lesson too late. So the life lessons we learn come gradually. And one of the worst ones I ever learned was involving that damn Thomas Watts. Watts, fat-faced Watts. I'll tell you, he was, he was, Watts was, was, was insignificant to begin with. He, he was never, well, he was a W, for starters. Now, I was part of the alphabetical ghetto myself. Nobody in the alphabetical ghetto made it. Schwartz, uh, Chester Wisniewski, me, Helen Weathers, we're sitting in the back, we can't hear, we can't see. Uh, we're sitting always in the back of the room because we're seated alphabetically, and among us was Watts. Now, Watts was born to it. The others of us, uh, you know, we fought it. Watts, he belonged in the back of the room, and he wallowed in it. And so Watts was never picked on anything. Once in a while, like most uh, figures of scorn, he would make an attempt at uh, respectability. Uh, we'd be out on the playground, you know, choosing up sides for a softball game. Some of you have gone through that, I'm sure. Watts would actually try to play. He would come out and want to play, which was, of course, ridiculous. Uh, I remember that would be, you know, like Flick and... and uh, and Farkas or somebody would be choosing ups, and we'd choose up, and uh, there'd be Watts standing after all the choosing up, standing there with a glove. And Flick would say, what do you want? Watts said, I want to play. Farkas said, you want to play? What the hell do you want to play for? Get out of here! Well, of course, there'd be a lot of nastiness, and Miss Shields would come out and yell that we've got to let Watts play. You know that whole scene. Well, anyway, Watts was that kind of guy. And... Late in my seventh grade period, the teacher, incidentally, at that point, was a lady named Miss Harris. Uh, Miss Harris, uh, she was kind of a soft, round lady with rimless glasses, played the piano in the auditorium sessions. And she always played the same thing, you know, in the auditorium sessions. And uh, Miss Harris was a kindly, nice lady. And, uh, you know, well, you know, you know, you have certain teachers, they're very motherly type. Well... One day, I am out in, in the playground, and something Watts did. I don't recall at this time what it was, but it was just something. All the endless bile which I had accumulated my soul for Watts suddenly exploded. You know, there's a point, that, what they call a point of combustion. And I chased Watts for about 34 blocks. I would say at least 34. Never knew he could run that good. Watts... We, we ran up and down alleys. I was just yelling, you know. 
you know, and, and he, every once in a while he would turn around and holler back. And, and I remember he was hollering curious things. Like I remember him hollering, I still remember a thing that Watts called me. He now has arrived on his back porch, which of course was safety. That was a demilitarized zone. You do not get up on Watts's back porch and, you know, kick the you know daylights out of him up on the back porch. See, he got up on the back porch and he turned around. His glasses are all clouding up and he's sweating. He hollers, you ham bone! Ham bone! I had never, you know, kids have various things they call each other, but that was a great moment of creativity. Maybe, incidentally, a clue to Watts's later obscenities. He hollered, I said, what do you, what do you call me? He says, you ham bone! Ham bone! I never heard it, you know, it, it, it hit me funny right there, see, and I said, oh, boy, what a stupid ham bone. Well, uh, boy, if you ever get off that porch, I'm going to kill you, Watts. Well, I went back to the playground, and uh, that was the end of that episode, right? But at that, at the, from that point on, Watts and I had no communications whatsoever, except an occasional malevolent glance. And look around, there'd be Watts. I know what it was that made me, made me mad about him. I see, he never did anything. Never did anything. It's probably guys like that listening tonight who just by the very nature of their being make other people butt. Not for anything you do. It's just the way, it's not even the way you are. It's, it's that you're there, you know? You know that kind. Well, we shall now pass over the ensuing years. I go to high school. I'm involved in this, you know, this whole thing, 3,000 kids in high school. Never see Watts, except once in a while, going through the hall, looking even toadier than ever. As he got in high school, he grew wider, but not taller. His brain got more like cheesecloth, and uh, his skin even got worse, if anything, and his glasses got thicker, and the, the adhesive tape on the ear pieces got heavier and more smudgy. And he always, he always wore these, these, uh, these sort of, you know, those sort of brown, yellowish Sears Roebuck type shirts. You know that kind. They look like they're made out of sort of uh, vaguely, uh, oh, uh, dyed Reynolds wrap or something. He, he just wore. He, everything was wrong about Watts. When we were all wearing chinos, Watts was wearing corduroys. You know that kind of stuff. Smelly ones. So there's. Watts is Watts. See him once in a while. Oh, never had anything to do with Watts. Okay. Graduation time comes. 650 of us are sitting in this damned auditorium. Uh, and, and we are graduates. Hotter than hell. In there. Oh, God, was it hot. And there's a guy up there giving a speech. And uh, he was a local Chevrolet dealer who also was the local undertaker. And uh, he, was the, he was giving the speech. And I remember him saying, And now... We of the preceding generations pass along the torch of learning to younger, more vigorous hands. Yeah, we're sitting there, geez, you know, the torch of learning is being passed on. The future of mankind is in our hands, Watts's hands, my hands. You know. Well, we're all sitting with these hats on. You, you graduated, right? Did you graduate, Jerry? How about you? <laughs> Did you? Right, all right. I don't want to, you know, offend anybody here, uh, but... Uh, you know, you wear you wear that little that that square thing, you know, that mortar or pestle or whatever they call it, with the big uh, shaving brush hanging off the side. See, and we had opted; the class had decided 
we we uh, we had an election. So we got a forum around about a month before we were to graduate to decide what color our graduation robes were to be. We could have Oxford gray. We could have Stygian black. Uh, we could have uh, we could have uh, cardinal red. Uh, well, anyway, somewhere along the line, our class opted for royal blue. Well, I'll tell you this. One thing I discovered about royal blue, nothing shows sweat quicker than royal blue. There were 650 big blobs of royal blue sweat sitting in the auditorium there. <laughs> and it was, oh, was it hot. And we had wearing these hats, and the sweat is running down my back. And finally, we go up to get our diplomas. And uh, they were all piled up on a stage there on this uh, this uh, table, and it had uh, velvet over it. The table had velvet with the school colors, which was purple and sort of ratty white. Uh, and, and we all go past there, and they hand out. And the thing happened to me that I've always, I've always, absolutely always feared. Always happens. Every time anything official happens, some people, nothing ever goes wrong. I start getting this scary feeling for the minute I start walking up. I know they're going to screw it up. Of course, I open up the damn diploma. It's rolled up. It's got a leather thing on it. You know what the you know the whole thing. Open it up. They haven't misspelled my name on my diploma. Two P's, at least five A's, thirty-four or thirty-five R's, and a D. What the hell did misspell my name? And it was done in old English script, you know, to be known forever herefore unto all comers and all inquirers that the following has passed and all that. Well, that was, now it's all over. I'm out of school. You got that? Now we are coming ground rapidly. You think what this has nothing to do with Watts? Wait. Wait, friends. Watts. I'll tell you, wait. I am now in the army. Well, I mean, tell you, you know, the army, the army is a pretty big deal. Before I went in the army, see, uh, I figured, well, what I was going to do, I was going to go in the army, I was going to be this officer, see, I was going to be a captain, and uh, because everybody that you see in the movies that are really heroes are always that kind of stuff. I mean, uh, uh, Van Johnson is never a PVT, no way. Uh, you can't see the adventures of PFC Sid McQueen, or Steve McQueen. No, no, these guys are always, Yosarian was a captain, for God's sake. You should feel sorry for Yosarian. So anyway, I get in the army, and I'm not in the army three days when I realize what a silly, ridiculous dream this was. Here was this whole mess hall, the first place I go to, which was uh, Fort Sheridan, a gigantic camp. The first day I go there, I'm in, in, in this mess hall, the entire mess hall, there's about 5,000 people there, is in charge of a PFC. He's walking around, he's directing everything. It's my God, a PFC. I never realized that, uh, that doesn't see, you know, the people outside, they see this guy with two stripes on, they think he's, hey, he's a soldier. Like hell he is. Back in that company, man, there's guys that hide under the barracks when he comes around. And I want to tell you, grown guys, right? You ever been in it? So, two years later, I have struggled up the chain of command, and I have made PFC. Two years later, I keep getting these letters back from home. You know, my mother says, uh, uh, gee, I, I uh, met Johnny... Anderson's mother on the street the other day, and uh, he uh, he writes from uh, he writes from uh, from Bangkok, and uh, he's uh, 
he say he wrote it uh, this letter, and I I don't like to bring it up, but you know he's he's a staff sergeant, and uh, he say you know he's a uh, here I am a PFC, and I can't figure out where the hell the secret is, you know. So I I I, I I'm getting these letters. That time the worst thing happened. I am transferred. This is two years later. I am transferred to another place. I have been made a T5. Now, you don't know what a T5 is. Well, to those of you who are technically minded with the various ranks in the Army and know the order and chain of command, a T5 is almost a corporal. Not quite. He's technically a corporal, but they give him no command whatsoever because they don't think he can be a real corporal, but what he does, he should get a little more money, you know, because he works with the soldering irons or something like that, see? So they give you corporal strikes with a T under it, which says don't believe anything this guy says. You know, if a, P if a PFC tells him to go to hell, uh, and the corporal says, wait a minute, and points at the stripes, the PFC can laugh if it's got the T under it. So I have made T5. It's been roughly two and a half years of hard struggle. And I have done it all, man. I have seen the inside of so many grease traps. I have, I know intimately every job that can conceivably per be performed in every mess hall from here to to quite probably New Guinea. And I'm a hard-bitten soldier, and I know damn well where the body lies in every conceivable direction. So I am now shipped. I don't know whether I should even tell you the story, even though it rankles. All right, I'll tell you the damn story. I am shipped to this company in an unnamed place, which I will not bring into. No, no sense in harming the innocent. I'm brought to this place, and uh, I, I arrive at the company on a Friday afternoon, which is important. The minute I get in there, the the the, uh, the guy who's in charge of the barracks, the corporal, the barracks corporal says, "Hey," he says, "Man, you better get on the stick." He says, "We're having a." Big inspection tomorrow. And I says, yeah, oh boy, I always have to arrive the day before the inspection. Can't arrive the day after, all right. So I dump out my junk and I start laying on my tent pegs and all that stuff and I fold all the jazz back and I fix up my foot locker and the whole stuff. And uh, that night they say there's going to be a big inspection tomorrow, so we're going to GI to barracks. So I GI to barracks. I get up in the morning, I put up my clean ODs, and I'm sharp, ready for the big inspection at noon. And just before that, on the PA system comes the First sergeant, he says, the inspection will begin in about uh, six or seven minutes. All you guys down in barracks, say, make sure you have them butt cats clean. And uh, by the way, the colonel will attend this inspection. The colonel will attend. Oh, my God, the colonel is going to attend. Not only the captain, not only the second lieutenants, but the colonel. I am standing in the damn barracks with my gut pulled in. When the barracks corporal house attention! Ready for inspection? And I stand up. Oh my! Who walks in? I don't have to tell you. God only knows where he got him. He was wearing silver eagles. What? What? He walks past with the captains and all that, and they're treating him like the Pope. You know, he, he is the Pope there. He's the He's the camp commander. He walks through there, and he looks at me, and he says, Soldier? And I said, Yes, sir. She said, Don't I know you? Haven't we served together before? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so, sir. 
Your face looks familiar. He knew damn well who it was. It was Hambone Shepherd. And he was rubbing it in. Haven't we served before? Your face looks familiar. And that toad in that tailor-made uniform waddled down to the end of the barracks with those big silver eagles. Was the only guy I ever saw that had batteries connected to the silver eagles. Lit up. Walks down to the end. Turns around and walks back. He whispers something to the sergeant. The sergeant turns and says, Very good, man. The uh, colonel says this was a very good barracks, except for a few odd individuals. The barracks was very fine. I'll have a name of you odd individuals later on. We'll talk about it after after the parade. All right, you guys, at ease. I learned one of life's lessons. The toadier the person, the more carefully you handle him, he will grow to become the president one day, friend.